irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. Welcome to those of you listening through audio streaming and those of you on Facebook Live at LA Talk Radio. It's nice to be seen this way here at the studio in Los Angeles. If you don't know my work, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I practice as an intuitive psychotherapist. You can find more about my work and offerings at my website, which is nolatherapy.com, the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy.com. And kind of the newest thing for me that I'd like to share is my book coming out in November of 2020. It's available right now for pre sale. I kind of printed out a cover. To show you all, those of you who are looking, it's titled The Chiron Effect, Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology, Empathy, and Self-Forgiveness. And what that really means and what it's about is that I want to help you heal the repetitive patterns that you might have experienced in your life, which are unwanted and negative. And these patterns stem in my research from specific core wounds. And there are 12 of them that I've identified. And to give you an example, a core wound is core wounding in your value and worth is one of them. Core wounding by neglect, core wounding and empathetic attunement, core wounding by abandonment, and so forth. And though most of us, if you've lived life richly and deeply, we've all experienced a lot of these wounds, but there's... I found one main one that we tend to struggle in, and Freud called it the repetition compulsion, object relation, object relationist, and attachment theories talked about the patterning from our childhood repeats itself in our adult lifespan. So I'm just offering another paradigm, another way to look at that and heal. And at the end of each chapter, there are takeaway practical steps as well as meditations and I've infused them with Reiki healing energy. So I'm excited for you to get this. Please go to nolatherapy.com. You can pre-order my book. Subscribe to this podcast. It helps me out a lot. My mission is changing consciousness one conversation at a time. It's a co-creation with my guest and with you to help get this word out. So I'd really appreciate you subscribing and rating All Things Therapy on iTunes and the various platforms because it, it really helps out a lot. Um, I'm going to shift to my guest. I am really delighted in moments to be with Sean Korn. She is a global humanitarian, a spiritual activist. She's a really well-known, world-known yoga teacher and practitioner. She is the co-founder of the leadership training program, Off the Mat Into the World. And Sean is also the recipient of the Smithsonian Institute's Humanitarian Award. She leads yoga retreats, workshops, and speaks around the world. I'm going to show you her book for those of you on Facebook Live, Revolution of the Soul, Awaken to Love Through Raw Truth, Radical Healing, and Conscious Action. 
And this book for me was an intensely emotional experience. I put on my Instagram post this morning that it's the kind of book you don't want to put down because it, it's so moving. Like you don't want it to end because the experience, though it might take you to some painful places, it's also deeply healing. And I released some tears even this morning finishing it. So I really encourage you to check out her book. You can go to seancorn.com, S-E-A-N-E-C-O-R-N.com. And she explores our need to heal the parts of ourselves that contribute to suffering. And she shares tenets of yoga philosophy philosophy from which we can choose to guide our lives by. Like an example is by adopting ahimsa, the intention to do no harm as a paradigm to guide your life. And this book is so authentic. Sean is vulnerable, uh, discussing her journey, healing from childhood sexual abuse and finding deep self-forgiveness and being able to extend that outwardly to forgiving others, including her perpetrators, and coming into her purpose and mission fueled by love as her reason for service. So, Sean, I just want to welcome you to taking your time out today. Thank you so much, Lisa. I appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Where would you like to begin on today's journey? Where would I like to begin? Um... (laughs) Right now, I'm staring over a pot of um, brown rice, making sure that, like, I am not a, a, I'm learning how to cook. And this has been my mission in life to actually be able to feed my family without having to um, look at a recipe. And it's only in this past month that it started to come to me. Um, But I still am awful at it. So right now, as you were talking, I'm staring over a pot of brown rice. It's just about boiling. (laughs) I am going to turn it low, let it simmer, and we'll see by the end of this conversation if I manage to make a good good pot of rice without it being too sticky. So that's where my head is at. (laughs) Awesome. You know, I think cooking is so healing, as you may be experiencing. It's such a form of self-care that is just really awesome and challenging and fun. Yeah, and it that never came natural to me. I mean, I'm a Virgo, so everything I do has uh, I, I'm most I'm most at home when things are in order yes. and when there's a recipe to follow. I get very confused if someone was to come into my kitchen and throw in a random spice. My nervous system would be like, and I'm done. I don't know what to do next. And so it's been a real beautiful uh, challenge to step away from a cookbook and really just be more intuitive and trust it and see it more as an art rather than a science. Yeah. And uh, so uh, that's where my head has been at. I've taken a couple of months off because my stepdaughter um, had a baby three weeks ago. And so um, as she's stepping into the archetype of the mom, I've been absolutely stepping into the archetype of the grandma. And it's a live, really living thing. And has it's just keeps revealing itself and in one of the ways it's it's cooking so that's where I'm at you know and hearing you talk about your grandbaby just seeing the innocence of of a newly born child and just I think it's just powerful well you know I didn't I didn't give I didn't give birth myself biologically by choice and I but I've raised um stepchildren for the last 20 years of my life and so I never really had the experience of, of seeing a newborn come into the world. And it's been really fascinating because only up until just a couple of days ago, I was telling my stepdaughter Ruby just this morning, like she was in another world. 
She was clearly in another dimension. And I felt very protective of that. Like she was, her body was here, but her consciousness was not yet, um, it had not yet embodied. And only in the last couple of days where I've been able to look at her and be like, there you are. Like, hi, welcome to the world. Before that, I was like, don't give her too much stimulation. And I would just whisper into her ear, tell him I say hello, because I could just tell she was still with the angels, wow. with God, with the spirit guides. And so it's been a real, it's been a real incredible blessing. Very tangible, I hear, and visceral for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very much so, yeah. You know, that I was just reading earlier today in, in your book, Revolution of the Soul, and it really struck me, and it's towards the, the end part, where you worked at the shelter with the children that had been sex trafficked, abused, prostituted, and when you said you're a Virgo and if somebody brings a spice in, it throws you off. Like when you when you went to teach those kids yoga and the way you approached it with them, just, you know, you had to approach it through the back door and really coming down to understanding them. And um, mm-hmm. just the way you handled being thrown off and working through it, like meditating, praying, sending them love. I know that's not like the chronological order of your book, but it was really powerful right? Yeah. to read that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I went into that shelter with the intention to to give them the medicine that worked for me mm-hmm. in the exact same way it worked for me, meaning breath work and asana and proper alignment. And it was in that experience where I realized it's not a one size fits all that healing medicine comes in a variety of different forms. And sometimes you've got to reach deep into um, into different practices, really looking at culture, gender, experience, and being willing to let go of the the rigidity of thinking that just because it worked for me, it's going to work for someone else, and really being in service to them and their experience. And perhaps maybe what worked for me would be an, an, an additional ingredient, if you will, yeah. but it's not necessarily the end all. Yeah, I hear you speaking to our, our filters and the way we, we approach things and that certainly had to be thrown out when you taught those kids at that time. Yeah. Sure, sure. I had my own agenda walking in. And when you work with youth, you can't have an agenda. It doesn't matter if, they're, if the children are in any way um, dealing with trauma or not. Um, you, you, children are just children. So you've got to let go of your own um, rigidity and um, expectation and be willing to go with the flow. Yes. You know, I want to read an excerpt from your book to our listeners because you start us off in your book about when you worked in New York City, a a sex club called Heaven, and Billy, one of your patrons, taught you and friends to to, uh, ignore the story and see the soul. And I really love this passage that I'd like to read to everyone listening. So Sean says, in order to know the God within, you must inhabit every part of self especially the wounded, sad, or injured parts. You must investigate and recognize those shadow parts as well as the light because truth and love dwell in equal measure in both places. If there are aspects of yourself you can't accept, it'll be near impossible to accept the same qualities in others. I just really love that section because... I think it speaks to why we judge and criticize others and then turn that inwardly against ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You know, and what I experience in the wellness and spirituality community so often is a bypass, what's called spiritual bypass, and it's the resistance to actually go towards the shadow and instead um, color it with uh, languaging, Mm. Um, like everything happens the way it's supposed to, uh, which is, of course, true. But when it's not really unpacked, it's just glossed over and, and the shadow gets suppressed. And that's when we can actually hurt ourselves and, most, and uh, also cause harm for others. Going towards the shadow and recognizing that all aspects of the human experience are ultimately divine. Because yoga teaches us to be in relationship with all aspects. Any separation is, the, is, the, is antithetical to the practice of yoga. So it is our shadow that teaches our light. And yet we're not really taught to move towards the shadow as a spiritual practice. And what Billy taught me is that we have to recognize that basically everyone is doing the best they can with what little they know mm. based on the trauma they've experienced and the lack of tools they had for integration. And that all aspects of each individual are moving us towards our awakening, which is love. So there's a purposefulness to it. Um, but our culture doesn't really give room for it because the shadow is often seemed as bad, wrong, naughty, or flawed. And so until we can get comfortable with our own shadow, it's very difficult for us to honor, love, and respect someone when they're standing in their own. Absolutely. And what you're speaking to, I think, has to do in part with how difficult it is to sit with the emotions of the shadow that it can feel, often people don't even know how to respond. I think at that level and seeing the higher consciousness community want to, like you said, use new languaging to kind of, to very much gloss over it, the spiritual bypassing, I think has to do with with one's own discomfort and how do I even begin to sit in those feelings? And I know you talk so rawly about that when you're going through your own healing about just the difficulty to even sit with feeling the terror and the shame and the fear and the anger and depression. And so I think it's important to, to speak out and give permission to others mm-hmm. to, that it's okay to, to struggle and to have to go through those darker places to get to the light. Right. Not only that it's, that, that it's okay, it's part of the initiation. It's yeah. inevitable. Yeah. So when it shows up, we shouldn't be surprised or think we've done something wrong. It's kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I prayed for this. And I guess my, uh, my nervous system is ready to have to move towards some of these, um, more, these areas of resistance inside my own psyche because it's really what we've prayed for. Um, and so, like, when, when the shit comes up, it's don't think that somehow you have fallen off the wagon on your spiritual practice. It's like not quite the opposite. The mirror is now held, and now you got to dig in and do the work. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that because I was reminded of that reading your book, that in my own healing journey and process to, to just be happier, and, and I didn't experience a lot of happiness growing up, and so for me it's been like, okay, I want to really expand and allow joy and allow pleasure and allow myself to feel the range of emotions on the, on the more positive side since I've done, you know, invested in my healing and turning over every stone. And, and just it's so refreshing to hear that it's okay when you fall back into just being scared and, and needing to cry about that. 
I mean, the the whole writing of my book was that experience for me. I resisted writing that book for years and years, and I could never really express why. But when I finally had to sit down and really look, reflect on why am I so resistant? And I realized that I had, was still carrying limiting beliefs from my youth, that I wasn't smart enough, that I was going to be found out, that somehow I was inadequate or incapable. And I haven't really had that tape in my consciousness in years. I'm, I'm quite accomplished in what I do. Yes. And yet there it was. After all those years, that limiting belief was still t- telling me, you can't do this. And I thought, oh, my God, I, I'm not clean of this. I've got to go into that discomfort. And so writing the book and having to face each day, my mantra was, I don't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. Every single day as I was writing this, something would happen creatively where I was like, I don't know how to get past this. My intellect won't allow me. My creativity won't allow me. My experience won't allow me. And I would feel the insecurity, the, the self-doubt arise, the little voice in my head saying, see, told you, couldn't mm-hmm. do this. And in the past, I may have indulged that. Now I'm at 53, I was able to sit with it and be like, all right, what do you need to tell me? You know, where do you come from? How did, how, how did I learn that this rhetoric was okay? And and then push past it, uh, it with respect, not not suppress it, yes. but feel the fear. And then what was always on the other side of it is I figured it out, that there was another level of intellect, there was another level of creativity, and there was a new layer of experience that I was able to access because I worked through it. So the book itself, it never ends. The learning never ends. It just gets a little bit more complex complex in a way, but the rate in which you stay in the discomfort, I think, just gets shorter and shorter because as you do the work, you get better skills Mm -hmm. and you're able to access those skills. I couldn't have done that at 18, but at 53, I could access those skills, but it doesn't mean I don't still have moments of where that shadow comes in that tries to absolutely determine my choice. And so it's, the balance between listening to the power of the ego and honoring the power of the soul and both have to be in relationship to each other. Yes. I I wondered for you what this process was like to go back through your memories and experiences and, and write them and to bring it all up again for you. Awful. (laughs) (laughs) And, and it was incredible. I mean, I worked with a therapist every single week. Um, I, I realized as a writer, I had two very different voices, meaning that the the narrative parts of my book, um, where I'm telling, where I'm a storyteller, that's one very particular voice. But my voice as a teacher is more linear and direct, and it's actually, it, it, as I was writing it, it's it doesn't have the same joyfulness or, or spunk. It's it's pretty clinical, and so I got to meet like two very clear parts of my personality but I was like okay now how do I integrate them Mm -hmm. um like how do I how do I make these two parts meet and that was its own creative process but writing the narratives was really challenging because I knew I knew one of the of the various themes in my book was going to invite people to reframe their narratives and to be willing to go towards the shadow self and uh 
take ownership of all aspects of the human human experience and open ourselves to forgive ourselves and to forgive each other yes. and to honor God in all of these moments. Well, I don't get to invite people into that deep emotional process without in some ways modeling what it actually looks like. Absolutely. And that was awful. That yeah. was the part that was really hard because I realized that I've been able to hide behind the identity. Um, it's an archetype, the identity of the teacher, the archetype of the teacher. And when you hold the seat of the teacher in that archetype, like a costume, I get to pick and choose what it is that I share and the way in which I share it. And I'm very comfortable in that archetype. Well, the book was like, you don't get to do that. Mm -hmm. You've got to be vulnerable. And people are not going to feel this book unless they feel me. That means I cannot hide behind this identity. And it meant that I had to go back in time and really share my story. So at first, my mantra to get me through that process, because at first I, I edited everything, meaning like I, I would start to tell a story and then I would think about my mother or my brother or my dead father and all, all the ways in which they might read this information. Yes. And that was really inhibiting. Um, it didn't allow me freedom when I was in their head. And so I finally, one of my mantras was, I have, I have to write everything, but I don't have to print anything. Mm. And I had to approach it that way because so much of my book is dealing with childhood sexual, not so much, but there's some aspects of my book that's dealing with child, childhood sexual trauma and obsessive compulsive disorder, mm -hmm. um, which was um, symptomatic of the, um, of the trauma. And what I realized is that as a child, I did not have agency over my body and my anxiety in the form of OCD was the way in which I could create control. And the one thing that I do have as an adult is that I have agency over my story. I get to pick and choose what it is that I will and will not tell, and nobody else will determine that for me. But until I wrote it all down, I couldn't, my nervous system couldn't titrate to the information. And so I had to write the narrative mm -hmm. as if none of that will ever be seen and give myself permission that it might not be. That at the 11th hour, I could pull every single story and say, no, nobody gets to read this but me. Yes. But what happened is in the telling of the story and the writing of it over and over and over, in working with therapy, in going to my family to discuss with them in advance what it was that I was doing and getting their love and support, as of course I knew I would, um, my nervous system acclimated mm -hmm. to the fear. And by the time I finished the book, I was... I felt like, yeah, I can share this. My whole nervous system was ready to share it. And I never looked back. Like, I feel very comfortable with what I shared. I didn't share everything, of course. Again, I had agency. There's certain things that I was like, yeah, no. It, but only actually because it wasn't relevant to the book. Yes. Like, it's not because I was afraid to share it. It was just like it wasn't in service to this particular book. So I was like, oh, it doesn't belong here creatively. But that was, um, you know, that was one of the many challenges of... of trying to find my voice in this. And then to get through that process, I had to write the book first in past tense, meaning I told all the stories at, from, from this vantage point, from a 53-year-old woman with experience okay. and with years of therapy and, and all of that behind me. I, was, I told the story that way first. But I also knew that telling the story from a distance wouldn't really allow the reader 
to be able to connect with it. So it was only really the last um, last couple months before the book was before my my deadline that I turned all the narratives into present time and told the story uh, in some ways chronologically, so that um, I could grow with the story and that the reader could grow yes. along and see that in 2020 hindsight, I mean, I tell the narrative and then I give the teaching. You know, I tell the narrative, let's say I'm 18 in the narrative. I can't know any better. I don't have sophisticated language. I don't understand spirituality. I have to write the narrative from that point of view. But the teaching section, each chapter has a teaching section that goes along with it. I can then step back as the teacher that I am, as the woman that I am, and say, here's what was actually happening. Here's what I couldn't have known then. But this was what was going on behind the scenes of my psyche that was preparing me for the next level of my evolution. Yes. And so all the teaching is in, is in hindsight. And my hope is that that's how the readers will, um, will be in relationship to their own narratives, where they can look at their story, their his history, and recognize the perfection of it, the purposefulness, mm -hmm. and that every single experience was actually elevating them into another level of consciousness and introducing them to deep spiritual work. It's just when you're in it, you can't know it. Right. So that was really the, that was the process. It was not easy. And, but I'm so grateful. It was deeply cathartic. It, it transformed me in a way that I still can't, I'm still coming to terms with. I feel more confident than I ever have as both as a teacher and just as a, just as a, as a human being on the path that's doing this inner work. I, it helped me to, it reminded me that these tools work when we actually work them. And I had to spend four years doing my yoga practice, my meditation practice, prayer practice, therapy, reaching out to my community, all the things they tell you to do when you're reactivating your trauma. Mm -hmm. And that it, it actually worked and it was incredibly liberating. So I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that I got to do it. Um, but I'm also really grateful it's done. I bet. You know, I really appreciate <laughs> you sharing in such details what your process was like, because I, I, that's what I imagine your experience could have been like. And it, it successfully, yes, like I was taken through, I felt like I was living your life and my own life and then learning about these beautiful yoga principles that I didn't know about. So it felt like I'm part in school of, of you know, yoga and its principles and also learning to just love myself more deeply, accept myself more deeply and be able to extend that to others just more and more and more progressively. And oh, I love that. That makes me happy to know. I'm glad. And, you know, Sean, I can tell you in writing my own book, the topic being core wounding, it was a three-year process. And I worked with a new therapist and coach to help with my core wounding. I felt like I lived every one of the 12 placements. Yeah, and I bet, right? Yes. Like, I, I, I don't know that I've cried more in a three-year period <laughs> since I was younger. But, like, I knew this had to come forward. And when you mentioned the archetype of the teacher, for myself, I've been a therapist for 20 years. Yeah. And I took on the, the archetype of the wounded healer, not the healer, but the wounded healer. And be, yep. and it was just such a powerful, like, I wondered, am I ever going to be happy again at one point? I'm like, God, <laughs> like, and, and then I heard spirit saying, like, come on, we're with you. Like, you know, it felt yeah. like a birthing through me. Like, it sounds like it was through you to 
to just, I want people to have permission to just feel their feelings and heal. And you don't have to carry on all this fucking shame around what happened mm-hmm. to you, like to free yourself from all that and like be your authentic self. Cause I feel like more people have experienced trauma than, than haven't, especially as women. Right. And to really support each other. Absolutely. Well, it's again, it's one of the reasons why I chose to write the book the way that I did, because I, I get people's perception of me as a leader in the community. I, like I, 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 and again, I also know the, the archetype and the projection that goes along with those kinds of archetypes. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to show people the complexities of this path, how vulnerable and raw they are. And the only way to do that effectively, the only way I can truly be in service to any of the readers is to show what it looks like for me and to not sugarcoat it and to not pretend like I, I'm still deeply in this process. I mean, the end of the book, I'm, it only happened, you know, just a few years ago. And so I'm still tripping up. I'm, I I hate using that word because I know that that's, that that's not how I feel. Uh, it's not a tripping up. I'm, but I'm still going up against my edges. Yes, I'm right. still, yes. you know, awakening, and it never ends. And I also don't want to be in a position because I think that's a deep shadow of leadership in our community. I don't want to be in a position to think that I should be beyond it. Right. That I should be somehow exempt from the uh, from my own humanity. I think that that's a terrible, terrible thing to have to live. And to have to pretend, because it just can't be true when you're on a spiritual path. Otherwise, you'd be enlightened. And I certainly am not. And so I wanted the book to be that human. Yes. And to to demystify the role of leader, teacher, therapist um, in the world. And that we're really here. There's, There's wisdom that I hold in this body. That is an evolutionary wisdom, and it can't continue to transform unless I'm in the process of living, which is fraught with error, if you will. And I don't want to be exempt from that. Otherwise, I cannot grow. And that's what I wanted the reader to take away, that the, that spirituality is not tied up in a neat, clean little bow, mm-hmm. um, that it's messy yeah. and it is raw and it's humiliating at times yes. and it's utterly humbling. And the more that we can be in grace with our own humanity, the more empathy we're going to develop for others. And that's the quality of heart that changes this world. And I can't teach people that unless I show them what it looks like fumbling and awkward and brave and that's what I attempted to do so I'm you know hopeful that people will see themselves in these stories oh absolutely Sean and I want to come back to when you mentioned the wisdom of the body I just need to give a quick shout out to my sponsors and I'll bring you right back on sure okay for those of you listening to all things therapy one of my sponsors is BetterHelp they are a secure online therapy platform And you may live in an area that it's harder to get to an in-person, face-to-face therapist. So they have thousands of therapists around the U.S. You can book a session in less than 24 hours. They handle all kinds of issues from depression, anxiety, trauma, LGBT issues. 
self-esteem. And as my listener, they are offering you 10% off your first month to try them out. They are HIPAA compliant, secure, and they do have financial aid available if you qualify. So check them out at betterhelp.com forward slash ATT for all things therapy for 10% off your first month. Betterhelp.com forward slash ATT. Additionally, my sponsor Beekeepers Naturals offers some really great products and from experience, I have used one of them religiously when I thought I was starting to get ill. They're sourced from bees, the hive of the bee with all kinds of natural defense properties. I'm not a scientist to be able to tell you what they all are. At the website, they can tell you, but the propolis throat spray, I used it every day for 10 days and did not get sick at all. It's it's naturally made. The bees are kept in integrity. They are humane. No, Nothing is harmed. And they offer you 15% off your first order to try them out by going to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash therapy. And their goal is to help your medicine cabinet to upgrade it with clean and natural remedies. Sean. Yeah. So when you were, are, are you checking on your rice by chance? Yep. <laughs> I, I, I felt it. Case, I felt it. In case, in case anyone is interested, my rice looks phenomenal right now. Yes. Phenomenal. So far, so good. Awesome. It's, it might actually be a really good batch. <laughs> and then... As, and, and then I'm going to bake some, making some barbecue tempeh, delicious. smoky barbecue tempeh while we're, while we're talking. Delicious. So I got it going over you here. You got it going on. <laughs> and rice is hard to cook, Sean. It's something I haven't always, you know, come out, had it come out well. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for saying that. For you real? know, it's taking me years, but I yes. feel like I finally am figuring this out. That's and we'll see in another 10 minutes. So I got to keep my eye on it. <laughs> and yeah. And then I'm going to make a, a cheesy kale and the cheese... The cheesy, I'm a vegan, the cheesy yeah. is from nutritional yeast, and it is delicious. So that's Actually, my, I love, I love the whole thing I got going on over yeast. here. I put it in salads. It makes it, yeah, like a, che- a cheesy, creamy, it's delicious. Yep, it's yep. So and good. so I saute kale with garlic and then the then the nutritional yeast, and it does. It just tastes like cheesy kale. Oh, so. that sounds delicious. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Welcome. I wish you were here for I can, Me too. I would make you lunch. I would love, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'd love to take you up on that. <laughs> okay. You got it. You, thank you. So moments ago, you were talking about the body keeping score. And one of my favorite practitioners is Bessel van der Kolk. He, his, yeah. his mm-hmm. book is called The Body Keeps Score. And, and you talk so well about just in your own life and story and through yogic principles, just how you shared about being in a yoga class one of your first ones, I think, at Integral Yoga and in a pose where you just, the emotions just came flooding over you. Yeah. And that's when you started to really realize about the connection between the mind and the body and emotions getting trapped. Can you talk to us a bit about that for listeners that might be resonating and sure, struggling sure. with that even? Well, I mean, when I first started yoga, I, I had no emotional connection at all. I mean, my um, I was so shut down because of trauma. It was just enough to move and breathe. But after years of practicing, one day I'm in a yoga class and just all my, my mind was all over the place and I couldn't concentrate on what the teacher was saying and I was getting annoyed at the person next to me and projecting all these thoughts. Yes. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, all this real big 
emotion started to come through me. It looked at first it looked like anger, and then all of a sudden, I realized I was going to start to cry. And I went into the I left the class, went to the bathroom, and just sobbed, and my body was shaking. And it was a very overwhelming experience, one that I know now as a yoga teacher and practitioner. It's a part of the phenomenon of yoga that happens quite frequently for people, not right away, but if you've been doing it for a long time, that it can happen when you begin to penetrate some of the deeper layers of tension in your body. What I learned over the years um, about what this phenomenon is, is this, is that when you experience trauma. Well, first, in the practice of yoga, it means everything is connected and there's no separation. And that includes your thoughts, your mind and your body, your physiology. So your body remembers every experience, every heartbreak, every loss. It also remembers historical, uh, generational, cultural information, um, including trauma. When we experience trauma, and trauma is defined as anything that overwhelms your capacity to cope and leaves you feeling helpless, hopeless, out of control, or unable to respond. This is when you're a child, really, when you're in that, um, when you're just developing, and, and often you don't have words to, ex- to yes. match your big feelings. When we experience trauma, chemicals release, they flood from the brain into the body, we're put into fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. In the practice of yoga, that moment where the body goes into fight, flight, freeze, or collapse, there's a contraction that happens. And in that contraction, what is imprinted is what's called samskara. And now, if that contraction is part of survival, it's part of control, the the body's instinct knows that they're in some kind of danger and their physiology responds to that danger, but it's now imprinted. Now, if you're raised in an environment where your parents recognized uh, or whoever's raising you recognizes that you're overwhelmed or shut down or, or, or scared and they invite you to scream, rage, cry, hit something, what happens is you're able to discharge the energy Energy is what binds all of us. It's when when they talk about we are one, it's energy. And everything is vibration with information. That's what energy is. And that includes emotions. Rage, shame, fear, guilt, grief. It's energy. So if we're being encouraged to discharge the energy, those emotions can release from our bodies. But more often than not, we're raised in environments where when a big feeling comes up, at best, it can look like um, you're whoever's whoever's the adult in your life says, oh, you're sad or you're scared or you're angry here, have a cookie Mm, or let's go shopping and I'll buy you a present. So we're taught to self-soothe outside of ourselves through food or through gifts. Or they might say, oh, you're sad. I'll give you something to be sad about. And they'll judge it or um, shame it. Either way, those emotions, that vibration gets suppressed in the city, in the, in the system, and it becomes tension. Tension, stress, and anxiety are the number one causes of illness and disease and depression. What happens when you practice yoga is you release the tension. So the emotions that live in the samskara and in the tissue begin to arise. Because our nervous system doesn't have any evidence 
that what's on the other side of the release of tension is safe, we will look for ways to distract ourselves from the sensation of that discomfort. And so in our childhood, we had the food, we had the shopping. Now what we might have as adults is fantasy. On the yoga mat, in life, we might have food, sex, drugs, alcohol, all all other ways to self-soothe or anesthetize. But on the yoga mat, probably don't have that, but we have our fantasies. So normally to distract ourselves, we will project or fantasize or think or organize bills Mm. and until it doesn't work anymore, until the body is safe enough where it goes past even that resistance and it lets you get beneath the anger, which is the grief, and that's where the tears come. And so it's a phenomenon that I see every single yoga class I'm in, you know, more or less. And I, half the time I'm not even saying anything that's even that particularly emotional. It's just when the body is ready, it's ready. Yes. And if, if the student is lucky enough, it happens at the same time when the teacher is just dropping just wisdom bombs mm. and it's resonating. A truth is resonating in their body and in their mind. And that's when real healing happens. And that's really the power of the asana practice. And it has nothing to do with strength and flexibility. It has everything to do with sensation. So everybody, every body, if you will, hits sensation and their edge and fit out from the outside, it just looks different. But it's what's happening internally. That's really where the transformation is, is, is happening. And it's why I want to encourage students to never go into comparison. It's like when you're at your, your edge and you start, to, you start to see yourself check out and dissociate mm. or fantasize, stay in the body, identify the sensations, and try to breathe with it and see what else comes up. I think that's so helpful and powerful. Yes. You know, I was reflecting back reading your book where you talked about your first yoga class and like, when was my first yoga class? And it was the weirdest experience in 2005. It ended up being the day before Hurricane Katrina came through New Orleans. I had Mm. driven by a Bikram studio and I felt what I tell you, like pulled into that studio. I had been up all night taking ecstasy. It didn't make any sense. I had to like go to this yoga class and like I had no idea it's hot as fuck. I didn't even know what I was walking into, but it's like something pulled me into that room and Mm -hmm. the teacher was like he was pushing me and and we become friends. Just like I felt this connection like that I had never felt before, like to give my body permission to expand and move in new ways that felt so powerful and empowering and just the sweat and from from there i was led to vinyasa and then kundalini and now i really love vinyasa so it's just been an i felt like i went through my like my life life flashing before me sean reading your book and your vulnerability and truth telling i just loved it thank you yeah thank you that makes it just makes me really happy to know when you're i mean as you know when in writing of the book you hope people get something from it (laughs) yeah but you get so close to every single word that, you know, at one point you don't even know, like, did you write something that's in any way meaningful or is it just, you know, people are going to be like, what the hell? Yes. (laughs) Like, you just don't know. So I appreciate that, that reflection. Yeah, you're welcome. And so what, what, I know you're a grandmother now. I'm curious about, since your book came out, I think in September of 2019, have you been doing a lot of interviews and such? 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I spent um, about six weeks on the road doing um, on a book tour, and that was its own challenge because I had to read from the book out loud, and it's so vulnerable. It was very vulnerable, um, and I went through a whole process around that and trying to get comfortable in my body. Mm. You know, again, as a teacher, I, I it's, it's just as a teacher... I don't know how to explain this, but when you're facilitating sacred space, even when you're praying, there's as it's always about the collective, you know, like when I'm praying in a yoga class, I'm saying out loud what I need to hear, Mm -hmm. but I never say I need to hear this. It's any place where in my mind I might be thinking I or me is always replaced by the we and the our. So you're, you're always in service to the, to the collective. In this process, and also when I'm teaching, people aren't necessarily looking at me. I'm in the room, I'm talking, but I'm not, um, I'm not the focal point. I'm not the center of attention. The book tour, I was the center of attention okay. and had to uh, ex- be exposed in a way that I was just, I'm not trained for and not comfortable with. Um, so I had to deal with another layer of having to be outside of my comfort zone. And so I learned a lot of amazing, amazing stuff about myself and about my own process. And one of the things that I know that I, I now know really clearly is I'm not necessarily extroverted. I'm very, I'm very introverted, meaning my soul gets fed and fed in isolation, mm-hmm. um, not around a large, large groups of people. So, uh, in teaching, you know, I teach for a weekend and then I have an opportunity to kind of, you know, turn in. But the book tour did not allow that. Okay. It was every single day on airplanes, you know, in the car, going from one event to another and having to really be present to uh, populations of people connecting and talking and revealing things that were really personal and, and um, vulnerable and then experiencing their um, experience of me and of this book. So it was an unusual experience. One, I'm very grateful that I went through, but I was also really happy when it was over. Um, I feel like where I've been at now, um, I'm really, I'm very grateful that my, that my stepdaughter chose this particular time (laughs) to give birth. Uh, the timing couldn't have been more perfect because after the four years of the writing and then the book tour, I, I think I needed to retreat to integrate the experience Mm -hmm. on a very deep level, um, get back, make sure that I was working directly with a therapist and remain as grounded as possible. And this time, not on the road, let me, I I had some PTSD a little bit, like just, you know, the, the intensity. Um, and, uh, uh, so it was really important that like these last couple of months, just being with my family, cooking food, not having to be public, and giving myself this space um, to reflect on what happened and the power of it, but also the, the, the tenderness also um, that I went through. I'm, I feel like I feel really lucky that I got this time for integration because I feel very grounded and happy and excited to get back on the road. Um, I feel clear headed, um, in a way that I haven't, uh, that I, that I, it's not that I wasn't clear headed. It was just, there was so much going on that, uh, uh, I got to kind of just discharge 
leave behind what happened and step into whatever's next. And I'm turning my book into an online training, um, more, more like an, an online immersion, awesome. so that I, we can go through all 12 chapters, really invite people into a deeper process for themselves, unpack um, the teachings, but also provide practices so that people can go into these experiences in a way that's more individuated. And I'm very excited about doing that. And I've been working on that in, in this little sabbatical I've had. And then uh, that's it. And really just looking forward to whatever else might be next, including perhaps writing another book if I'm, if I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. Yes. You know, in, in hearing about the way you conducted your book tour with reading from your book, and I'm just even thinking, like, how you might have selected those passages. And, you know, if you select passages based on, on kind of where you were that day and just the honoring of yourself, because it sounds like it was so busy, it might have been hard to honor yourself and the emotions that come up mm-hmm. reading something about your trauma and then having to kind of hold the room and compassion while you you yourself mm-hmm. are having an experience internally. Just how challenging yeah, that yeah. is. So I just want to really speak to how, how challenging that was. Yeah, it was intense. Well, the way I approached it, though, um, was because I didn't know how each chapter would affect me, I decided that for every city that I went to, I would go in order. Mm. First city got chapter one. Second city got chapter two. So no matter where I was, I couldn't censor myself. Yes. I just And I would explain that, like, all right, let's just see how this goes. And went through the whole book that way and did it again. And it, it was so, sometimes it was really hard because I'd be in certain cities and certain chapters would come up and I'd be like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to read this chapter yes. right now. This is not the place for this. I'm feeling that. And I, mm-hmm, and and I thought, it. nope. The only time I changed it up is every once in a while people would bring um, children mm. into the readings or if it was being held like in a bookstore at a time where it was open to the public and people were meandering around where there might be children in the space yes. or there might be people who are experiencing or have experienced trauma that didn't sign up to hear about trauma. Sure. And those were the moments where I was like, okay, shift gears real quick. So I had a couple of chapters that were my go-to chapter if there were children in the room that I knew I could read the the. I could read from it um, without it being um, without it really being traumatized for a child. That was so thoughtful. No, I learned that the hard way. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I could talk to you forever. I've I've really enjoyed our time. Thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed my time too. Thank you. How's the rice? And and, and I have successful rice. So thank yes. you. You're welcome. Yes. Well, I hope you have a really great rest of your day and enjoy that delicious vegan meal. Thank you. Thank you. Many blessings to you and to everyone listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That concludes my show today with Sean Korn. Order her book right here, Revolution of the Soul, and learn more about what she's offering at seancorn.com. Thank you for being with me. Support my show through the crowdfunding campaign I have with Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Bye, y'all. You're listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir only.